Welcome to the December edition of Media Talk USA. I'm Jeff Jarvis. It's beginning to look a lot like podcast time here in New York City. And as always, we have plenty of media dishing to do. Rupert Murdoch is taking on Google in what is looking like the epic battle of Godzilla versus Snuffleupagus. In Washington, the Federal Trade Commission tells journalists, we're the government, we're here to help. AOL looks to replace editors with algorithms, and Oprah deserts broadcast TV. What is to become of local stations without her? Media Talk USA. Welcome to the December edition of Media Talk USA from The Guardian. Let's call this our very special holiday edition. Joining me in the studio is Laura Walker, president and CEO of America's largest public radio station, New York's very own WNYC. Laura is a Peabody Award-winning journalist with a resume that includes time spent at Yale and Sesame Street. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. And from America's finest news source, we welcome Baratunde Thurston, the web and politics editor for The Onion and host of Popular Science's Future Of on the Science Channel. Hi, Baratunde. Hello, Jeff. So first up on the agenda, Rupert versus Google. Media Talk USA from The Guardian and paid content. Rupert has been gunning for Google. At a recent Federal Trade Commission hearing on the future of journalism, more on that later, Ariana Huffington compiled the epithets Murdoch and his minions have been hurling at Google and aggregators. Quote, parasites, content kleptomaniacs, vampires, tech tapeworms in the intestines of the internet, and thieves who steal our copyright. Fighting words, indeed. Google has said little. They see themselves as helpful and cuddly, snuffleupagus, while old media moguls try to paint them as monstrous. Google reminds publishers that it's an easy matter to bar Google's robots at the door, and they did just throw a soup bone to News Corp et al. by helping them limit the number of free articles users can read when they come in via search engines. And Google CEO Eric Schmidt wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed reminding publishers, particularly the Wall Street Journal, that, quote, Google is a source of great promotion. Four billion clicks a month to news sources and, quoting Schmidt, 100,000 opportunities a minute to win loyal readers and generate revenue for free. Take that, Roop. Does Google have a PR problem? Well, if Rupert has anything to say about it, they will. Here's what he said at the FTC. Critics say people won't pay. I believe they will, but only if they give them something of good and useful value. Our customers are smart enough to know that you don't get something for nothing. They've got it for some of our friends online too. Yet there are those who think they have a right to take our news content and use it for their own purposes without contributing a penny to its production. Some rewrite, at times without attribution, the news stories of expensive and distinguished journalists who invested days, weeks, or even months on their stories, all under the tattered veil of fair use. These people are not investing in journalism. They are feeding off the hard-earned efforts and investments of others. And their almost wholesale misappropriation of our stories is not fair use. To be impolite is theft. And here's what Ariana Huffington told me after her testimony to the FTC. Well, my point to Rupert Murdoch was that if he's serious about um, taking his content uh, out of Google, he can do it right now simply by clicking disallow and the fact that he's not doing it instead just kind of going on and on 
calling new media nastier and nastier names shows that he's not serious about it. So is this a real war? Will Murdoch really pull his links from Google as rumored and hand them over to Microsoft's Bing? Or is this just the fine art of negotiation for a MySpace deal? Panel? Okay, let's start with uh, the messenger. Rupert Murdoch. First of all, when people say there are those who believe X, they're engaging in an art of, of buzz and propaganda and hand-waving. So you have to take it with a pound of salt before you take seriously what they say after those words. Well said. He talks about theft and misappropriation of content uh, as if all of his media properties don't do the very same thing. Fox News is a right-wing propaganda arm uh, masquerading as a satirical news outlet claiming to be a fair and balanced <laughs> journalistic outpost. And, it is and no what do you really <laughs> think? <laughs> and it's no such thing. And that's fine. They have the Wall Street Journal now. And they do great journalism of, of hardcore reporting. The point is uh, you can't do this us versus them. And he's got a very simplistic view of how this works. I don't think he actually believes what he's saying. Uh, I think what he's doing is trying to align himself with media owners who don't really like him to begin with because he's buying up everything. And this paints him in a very sympathetic corner. You know, if your own side is disunited, find a common enemy. And who on the news publisher side doesn't have a gripe to pick with Google? But it's not sound. Yeah, I think he's uh, very much trying to uh, throw out a challenge to other media uh, owners to kind of join him and, and you know, behind the paywall and, uh, you know, so that everything is is going to be uh, behind that wall. And I don't think he's going to succeed. He constantly complains about the BBC and the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because they're going to ruin this game. So do you. People are going to you on the web more and more and more, right? Right, right. And, you know, our missions, and BBC recently said, we're going to be free. We're, that's part of, you know, that's what, that's who we are. And that's who we are. We're going to be free. Um, but, uh, you know, so are a lot of other people. I mean, it's not just public broadcasting. Exactly. It is. It is the this new world. People, you know, and it's scary for those. You know, in the legacy media, it's also, you know, I mean, also everyone's figuring out their obviously their business model. Far be it from us to think like Murdoch, but do you think he's real? This is a real threat. Uh, Ariana says it's not, or is he just blowing smoke? I think he has, for all of his success, there is. Supposedly, and, and uh, it makes sense that there's some intelligence behind his ability to amass such wealth. Okay, so I have to assume that he's a c cognizant human being, aware of the world around him. He knows his, many of his properties already deal with Google in just the way he proposes. This isn't some big secret thing that's happening. Google's had these options for publishers, first click free, everything free, subscription, paywall, and they recently tweaked them this week to increase the amount of free clicks. But essentially, the program hasn't changed. It's been publicly available. So I think what he's really doing is puffing himself up and trying to get a discussion started, right. uh, more so than legitimately claiming Google and these aggregators, quote unquote, are stealing. Reporters are aggregators, if you think about they it. They use fair use. Yeah. I wrote a blog post recently saying, under the headline, Rupert has balls. Uh, which we're allowed to say in the, for The Guardian. Um, <laughs> nice. Because that's really how he's made his career. He makes big moves. Yeah. And he makes big good moves like sports and Sky and Fox. He makes big bad moves like MySpace. What strikes me about this... this is a big move? No, that's the thing. Yeah. It's not a big move at all. It's, a, it's an old defensive thing. And his son James has said that News Corp is really now a TV company, not a news company. I think that says a lot. Media Talk USA. Now round two is Rupert versus the government. At the FTC hearings, they called it a workshop to make it less threatening. On the survival, that's their word of journalism, in the internet age, Murdoch told the government body to, in not so many words, butt out. In my view, the growing drumbeat for government assistance for newspapers 
This is alarming as over-regulation. One idea, gaining in popularity, is providing taxpayer funds for journalists. We're giving newspapers non-profit status, in exchange, of course, for papers giving up their right to endorse political candidates. And the most damning problem with government health is what we saw with the bailout of the US auto industry. Health props up those who are producing things that customers do not want. In other words, it subsidizes the failures and penalizes the successes. I again asked Ariana about this, and lo and behold, she agreed with Rupert. Almost. I don't think there is any role in terms of bailouts, no. I really feel that um, whenever an industry is in trouble, they go to government, and it hasn't really worked. It hasn't worked with Detroit through, the whole, through all the years you know, of wanting special exemptions for SUVs, special tax credits, and in the end they just fail to innovate. So very often it becomes a substitute for real innovation. I too spoke at the FTC event and told Commissioner John Leibovitz to get off our lawn. The future of journalism, I believe, is more entrepreneurial than institutional, and I fear government will meddle with copyright, antitrust, and other laws to benefit the old institutions over the new tender blades of grass that are rising now. I fear government intervention in news, media, and speech. But Laura, as a public radio station, you do get government funding, not a lot. And until you engineered the purchase of WNYC from the city of New York, you were indeed owned by government. Is there anything to fear here? Well, so are you actually owned by government, right? <laughs> um, uh, I think you ha- we have to be very careful to separate out a few things. One is bailout. Uh, I don't. I'm not supportive of a bailout of the newspaper industry. I think we, for a variety of reasons, I don't think that's what the government should be doing. Um, I don't think that the uh, that we should be bailing out a dying industry. I think there's a lot of innovation that should be. Um, taking place, and it is taking place, and we should see it where it is. However, I do think there is a role, and I think uh, for government funding of journalism and of uh, really quality journalism, and I think certainly the BBC has shown that, NPR and and public uh, radio and television, we have to be obviously incredibly careful of kind of any perception or reality of any kind of uh, government Inter- intervention in um, in the news, and I think we can do that. I really do believe that we can do that. Um, I don't. Um, I, I, I don't think that the bailout is going to achieve that. Uh, I do think that CPB and others have supported real innovation and that that should be where the the focus should be, as well as on the very, very small stations in, you know, in the middle of the prairie where it's the only local, uh, you know, medium. And I think we have to, so I think we have to be a little careful about kind of damning, you know, all of government funding. Um, Bartender? A couple of comments. First of all, that was awesome. What you just said was just awesome. So I'm going to clap for that because <laughs> I support quality comments. Um, I would like to first sue Rupert Murdoch <clears throat> for stealing my time because he talks so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people talk slowly, you know? People should all talk fast just like me, don't you think? <laughs> at least half of the time he spoke, I could have been using toward other means, earning money per chance. So I want to charge him at my going rate uh, for half of his time. Uh, The government has been involved in the U.S. model in financing journalism directly and indirectly for a long time. Dan Gilmore wrote a great piece documenting this history, talking about uh, 
uh, ex- uh, lower postal rates. You know, 75% off for shipping of newspapers and magazines, tax credits for news organizations, preferential um, treatment as far as ownership rules being relaxed goes. So there, and also the, the public notices through paid advertising that local, state, and federal governments do to news organizations. So there's federal money, state money, local government money going into the news business since the beginning of this country's founding. Um, I don't think a bailout's a great idea. But I do think that we have some support for it already. And I agree that it should be more about the creation of a new media model than the preservation right, of an that's old Right, and that's part one. of the problem here yeah. is that – and I've had this discussion and argument with uh, Alan Rusperger, the editor of The Guardian, which I do at my own peril because yeah. he's so smart. But uh, in Britain, they are so used to this government model. Now there's talk of maybe taking some of that and giving it to local outlets. But the problem today is to whom does that go? Does it go to Ariana Huffington or does it go to the New York Times? It was easier in the old days to say what the institution was and who the journalists were because of who they worked for. Now it's not at all easy. Well, part of, I think part of what also needs to be a part of this discussion is how we ended up here. You, know, you look at local newspapers and why are things so awry and why are things going so bad? It's not that they're losing money. It's that they're not making enough money according to their regional to or national their corporate ownership. Right. Well, that's right. And exactly. they have such debt already. Yeah, you know? and, so and who created that debt? These little independent right. newspapers didn't go out and try to become mammoth owners. I mean, people came in and sucked them up and said, okay, now there's a, a regional group, now there's a national group. So people are paying for those decisions nowadays, and a lot of reporters are getting laid off because they have a, a, a corporate profit mandate, which is inconsistent with their local mission of, of covering news. And the other point I wanted to get to is that the government – role, at least here, should be more of supporting an infrastructure and a rule base that allows journalism to thrive, not necessarily directly supporting journalism. So, for example, make the internet open. Guarantee access to that so everyone has these tools of journalism at their disposal, rather than picking between Huffington Post and New York Times. That's going to bring more innovation, I think. I think it's naive in a way to think that we're, the government isn't giving money. Ariana Huffington is taking money from the Atlantic, you know, uh, foundation. That's Nonprofit money, right? I mean, so so it's not subsidized. So, right. Yeah, and, and and are we saying and are you saying that there shouldn't be any nonprofit journalism? No, no. I well, think, so I but think that, that is that a tax. Is, all right, uh, that's fair. You know, okay. and, and gotcha. <laughs> uh oh, okay, we're gonna end this mess with the president of NYC. That's what I just learned. Media Talk USA from the Guardian and paid content. And now some news from around the world of media. AOL is set to restructure the way they produce and deliver news, sports, and entertainment content by using a quote-unquote high-tech system of mass production. Simply translated, they've created a robot editor in a similar vein to what demand media uses. They will look for search trends and automatically farm out the work of answering the questions there to a network of poorly paid freelancers. Laura, WNYC produces 100 hours of original audio a week. Any plans to bring in a robot workforce? (laughs) I don't think we'll bring a robot workforce. Um, We need the journalists. But I would say we have to use whatever techniques there are to try to figure out uh, what what is you know there's nothing wrong with saying what's popular what are people thinking about what should we be paying attention to so it's I think the the real challenge of the time for us for us journalists are is to use both the the those these new techniques and to kind of also though apply a real journalistic standard and you know search for uh, the news and do some investigation with it with that with those, those people tools. Know. yeah I, I consulted right. for a year and a half at about.com and they very cleverly looked at the search queries, and if they didn't have an answer for something, they wrote it. And that sounds to some ears um, heretical, editors decide, but no, it's what the public wants to know, so tell them what they want to know. 
So, Baratunde, can a robot do your jo- job? Can it tell jokes? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. There is no <laughs> algorithm for quality humor. Um, I do think there is an algorithm for discovering what people are interested in. So I'll agree with you that the sort of the front half of this AOL demand media model makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you're ignoring public demand, then you're not really serving the public. However, the second half of that is two problems. One, the quality of the writers that they find, and two, what they actually write about. Journalism is not just about what we want to know. It should be about what we need to know, and search terms don't necessarily indicate that. As we speak, Comcast has made its long-reported deal with GE to buy 51% of NBC Universal in a deal valued at more than $30 billion. NBC, the network, appears to be valued more as a floor mat thrown in with a car. It's the cable networks and the content creation company that cable company Comcast treasures. Do we think a cable company can go Hollywood? First of all, I think you have to have some Death Star music when you read giant merger news like that. Uh, Second of all, $30 billion just happens to coincide with the cost of our second deployment to Afghanistan. I just want to plant that as an interesting factoid for people to do with or blow out of proportion as they will. Uh, Cable companies are the most hated service providers in the United States. Between them and phone companies, they trade places. So it's a little disconcerting that the people that can't plug in a wire to my apartment are now in charge of much more of the content that goes over that wire. But it's not unexpected, and I suppose I trust them more than a light bulb company. Laura, a broadcast network going down and down and down in value, does that surprise you? Um, no, it doesn't. And I don't think it's going to get any better um, myself. I mean, you know, we just actually bought WQXR. Uh, from the New York Times. From the New York Times, in a, and it was a kind of a three-way deal. We paid $11.5 million basically for 105.9, which Univision bought 11 years ago for $110 million. Whoa, you won. Well, the, the listeners won. <laughs> Nicely played. Well, so that actually goes into our next story and the future of broadcast. Media Talk USA. After much prayer and months of careful thought, I've decided that next season, season 25, will be the last season of the Oprah Winfrey Show. Another blow to broadcast came when Oprah Winfrey announced that she was abandoning her talk show in 2011 to move to cable with her own network, called OWN, in partnership with Discovery Communications. She chose one hell of a month to make the move. In November, Oprah made headlines with her on-air unveiling of a Connecticut woman who was mauled by a 200-pound chimpanzee. Four days later, she sat down with everyone's favorite straight-talking, caribou-killing, conservative hockey mom, Governor Sailor Palin. What does Oprah's departure say about the world of broadcast these days, especially local broadcast? Is there a value still in local stations? I'll go to you again, Laura. Well, I think there's a value in local stations. Not sure. And I think there'll be new talent that'll come along. But it certainly is a signal that, you know, the broadcast networks are not certainly not king anymore. But I, I think that, you know, it's an interesting challenge to kind of think about what what is the role of a local broadcast station. Which you we, all are facing in NPR right now. Yeah. And can we – I actually think it's a really exciting time, certainly at, at for NPR and radio stations because we are – uh, some of the only journalists, and not not in New York, obviously, but in a lot of our uh, cities and our communities, some of the only journalists, local journalists around, and so how and people are very interested in their in in what's happening locally. But the value of distribution is what's really going down here, and you're exceptional because you're large and you produce some great shows like on the media and Brian Lehrer and so on. Out there in the prairie you referenced earlier, there's a little station that mainly makes its living by being the place you can listen to 
Prairie Home Companion or whatever. Um, and, and now that, that we can listen to that on our iPhones on demand, the value of that distribution outlet starts to go down. And that's the same problem that, that WXXX in TV is having as WAAA is having with public radio. I think that's right. And I think it challenges the public radio system and the broadcast community to think about content. It's about content more than it is about distribution, I think. And so those people who can look at content, whether it serves their community or whether it's the next Oprah, they'll be the next Oprah. There'll be some new people coming on. And that'll be, and hopefully the broadcast networks will be in a position to spot that talent. But Baratunde, you've made a whole brand with The Onion online. You don't really need this big old media. Yeah, I made it all by myself as well. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) I'm a small cog in an invisible wheel, (laughs) and I'm honored to be there. Um, I think this issue, you know, when you look at how cell phones evolved in the U.S. and how number calling evolved, it was a hyper-local experience. There were local calls and intralata calls with this vague in-between area. That's the second time you've done uh, telephonic geekiness here. Because I used to work in the telephone world. Um, (laughs) Secret past of me that's not so secret. But the point is we got to national calling plans. We got to uh, unlimited minutes a month for a lot of these plans. And no one cared where your area code was. People don't change the area codes anymore. The internet and cable have come along in reverse order and nationalized to some degree our media options. So I listen to radio programming from the West Coast because they have great programming. I don't live there. It doesn't matter. And I get it directly from the feed, from the pipe, without going through a local distribution affiliate. Now, to borrow a phrase from Justin Timberlake, who says I'm bringing sexy back, I do think there's a role to bring local back in terms of local advertising and local journalism and content. And we're probably recalibrating our options there. But when this weird transition where we have an explosion of choice, doesn't matter where it's from, and now we'll we'll miss some of that local when we realize we know more about what's going on I, weirdly in Sri Lanka or Moscow than we do about what our neighbors are doing, about what's going on at the city council or community board meeting around the corner. And that's the real opportunity, I think. Yeah. So speaking of defections from broadcast, Howard Stern left terrestrial radio for satellite. His five-year deal has another year to go. And recently I heard him starting to make noise about the wonders of the Internet. He said, and I quote, Tomorrow I could go on the Internet and start my own channel with my own subscribers. You'd be able to click and watch us on TV. You'd be able to listen to us streaming. You'd be able to get us on your iPhone. I wouldn't even need to work for a company. I'd be my own company. Well, Baratunde... Could a media brand like Stern or Oprah use the Internet as a base now for stardom? Should Stern follow Stephen Fry on Twitter? I think uh, I would like to welcome Howard Stern to 2003. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you know, I can have a website and you can click on things. I can like documents through this magic of hypertext markup. Isn't it cool? It's ridiculous. I think um, he has enough money to do whatever he wants. Oprah can do whatever she wants. And you have they're at the pole ends of a spectrum. You've got people who are just starting, and they don't have to go through the traditional gateways of distribution or acceptance or aggregation or anything. They just create content, and they put it on a freely hosted platform, and they can blow up like this guy Buck Hollywood on YouTube, who makes his living making confessional, entertainment, news-driven YouTube videos. Or you can be this established kind of old media brand with enough money and escape velocity to leave the traditional media model and forge out on your own. I think in the middle is where the fun happens um, and where most of the uncertainty lay. But Howard Stern is going to be fine. He could just sit on a rock and post pictures on TwitPic, and he'd probably make a million dollars a day off of that somehow because his brand is so powerful and he has a loyal base. He can make them do to some extent what he wants. Laura, you've developed incredible talent at WNYC. We were talking earlier about Brian Lehrer, and I'm a big fan of Brian's. 
Could a Brian Lehrer start, as Baratunde suggests, on the internet now? Yeah, he, cer- he certainly could. I mean, I but I would not um, underestimate the power of the megaphone of the radio still. It's still there. Our audience is as strong, if not stronger than ever. Uh, it's It has not declined. And when you say something on the, when Brian says, you know, kind of write in and tell me what you're seeing in your neighborhood. You know, what are the uncommon economic in- indicators in your neighborhood? People do it. And well, that's one of the great things he's done is he's realized that the power of that megaphone is to mobilize that. Right. public to that's collaborate right. on things and that's right. just really wonderful right and, and it's I, scary my goodness it's it's so <laughs> fascinating though because if you can figure it out yeah. and you can use the megaphone and the new media uh, for a different kind of conversation and and kind of really use it to to kind of unlock a, a kind of a, a different kind of journalism I think it's fabulous but I can't help but wonder whether Howard Stern is just negotiating. I think that's part of it, but I think he also sees an opportunity. That that line where he says, I don't have to work for a company. Yeah. I can own yeah. it. I think right. that's what's in there. Yeah. And yeah. the question is, could he bring his 2,000-pound his gorilla um, power to really create a company online that, that could work? I would love to see him try yeah. and, and not just talk about it, to actually do it. Because I'd actually love to see him compete without the built-in advantages of that megaphone. Yeah. And he already, he still has big advantages from his legacy and his brand counts for a lot. But I'd love to see a Howard Stern versus random dude or dudette X. Yeah, you know, but you know, I don't think the satellite radio is working for him very well. Mm. So I mean, it doesn't have that big does a megaphone. Miss, it's it's does not his that ego large miss an audience. The yeah, of millions? yeah. I and mean, yeah. I think he, if he really put some marketing and an energy behind an internet brand, I think he could be much bigger. Well, he's Futures locked away, internet, actually. I can't link to it. Right. I can't hear it. Right. I'm done. Is right. satellite doomed I, without d- Howard? I think the, the future's in internet, not satellite. Yeah. I don't think the it's only because of Howard. But in, in on-demand media. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for another month. It's time for a visit from the ghost of news yet to come. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Baratunde. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Media Talk USA is engineered by Chad Bernhardt, and this will be our last podcast under producer Glenn Oston Anderson. We record in the studios of the City University of New York Graduate School of Journalism. Don't forget to add your comments to our blog at guardian.co.uk slash mediatalkusa. Make sure you subscribe from there, too, and don't miss next month's edition, which will be uploaded in the first week of January or as close as we can get. I'm Jeff Jarvis. Thank you for listening. Media Talk USA. Media Talk USA.